Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Forrester CX Cast. This is Sam Stern, joined by my co-host. I will not say as always anymore, though, because we are in our last days of Diana. Diana Laffer is here, though. Hi, Diana. Hi, everyone, for one of the last times. <laughs> and we have in the studio a whole host of people uh, that we're looking at here. First, Maxie Schmidt from our team. Hi, Maxie. Hello, Sam and Diana. And Dylan Zarnicki, researcher on our team. Hello. And from the data team, researcher Laura Garvin Tram. Hi, Laura. Hi. And you are all here because you all worked on this report that we wanted to talk to you about called Drive Revenue with Great Customer Experience 2017. So it's just 2017, early in the year. I guess this is a new report that just came out that talks about driving revenue. Dylan, Maxie, Laura, I invite all of you. Tell us some of the key findings from the report. I think one of the most important things we found out is that there is an upside to customer experience improvements in the industries we've looked at. And Laura can talk a little bit more about the models later. But the upside differs. Rising customer experience scores don't always mean that the revenue potential, the revenue upside, moves the same way. For some industries, it moves in lockstep. For some, revenue actually gets progressively bigger as customer experience scores increase. And for some, the revenue upside gets progressively smaller as the CX index scores increase. I thought that was pretty interesting. Hmm, that is interesting. So some industries see diminishing marginal returns from improvements and others almost see exponential growth from exactly. greater exactly. scores. So wireless providers, for example, they see diminishing returns. Luckily, they have a big share of customers who have really bad experiences, so they can still benefit from investing in the bottom end where they have a steep uh, curve, right? Where, where every increase in, in customer experience yields a high revenue upside. And banks are the opposite. Banks have an exponential revenue growth with a higher CX index scores. So investing in customer experience totally pays off for them. Why is that? I mean, is it, the, you know, I can imagine that there's a case of I have a phone plan or I don't. So you, there's not that much incremental rev- revenue to get out of me from delighting me. Whereas banks, there's so many products and services I might need from them at some point. Uh, you know, Wells Fargo accepted where they'll give me all of them at once all the time. <laughs> um, but is, is that sort of how this plays out? Or why is there that sort of greater upside for the banks, do we think? That's exactly how it plays out. And Laura, I mean, why don't you, why don't you talk a little bit more about how we, how we got to that, which also plays to the factors that play a role there. Sure. So we start with the premise that improving CX drives loyalty. So then for each industry, what we do is we basically create an algorithm that quantifies what loyalty means in that industry and how that relates to revenue. Okay, so tell us how different industries the loyalty plays out differently. So we take into account the different factors in each industry that relate to revenue and how that connects up to loyalty. For all industries, for advocacy, we can look at how many people each customer recommended, but then we can also look at how effective that recommendation is likely to be. How likely is it that somebody who receives a recommendation is actually going to come out and create revenue for the brand? We also look at retention and enrichment. So if a customer is more likely to stay with your brand or to buy more, What does that look like in terms of revenue? So, for example, if I'm an auto manufacturer, right, chances are pretty high that someone is going to look for advice or recommendations about what car to buy from people. So the likelihood that someone who would be willing to recommend you gets a chance to influence a big, pretty big purchase is higher than maybe rental car providers to stick off, you know, sort of the same at least base product of where I'm not as likely to ask my friends Hertz or Avis because who cares? But I am more likely to ask Chevy or Ford because it's a bigger deal. It's a bigger purchase. That's right. 
And we also take into account factors like how easy it is for you to switch from your brand if you wanted to. So for in some industries, mm -hmm. like in the telecoms, you might be locked into one cable provider that provides service in your area. So even if you were having a bad experience and wanted to switch, you might not be able to. So in those cases, when you can't switch, then there's no loss of retention loyalty because that's not even a factor. People can't leave even if they want to. I want to go back to what you were talking about advocacy, because one of the things that I found really interesting in the report was that you talk about how in a lot of industries, the revenue potential from retention and enrichment is a lot greater than advocacy, which is counter to a lot of what I read about CX and revenue. Can you talk a little bit about why that is? The reason for that is that for a customer to be happy and to say that they will recommend to turn into a profitable customer relationship, a lot of things have to come true. So first of all, the customer actually has to have friends that um, he or she talks to, that recommends things that to. That counts you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, I was going to say that in the mic about you, Joe. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's the first thing. The customer needs to actually make a recommendation. The second thing is that the people who receive the recommendation, if they're already buying from a firm, then that recommendation doesn't really do anything. So if somebody, for example, recommended Amazon to me, that is not a recommendation leading to a profitable customer. I am already a profitable customer for them. That's the second thing. And the third thing is that we're very conservative in, in assuming how many people who receive a recommendation about a service are actually going to become customers, either because they can't become a customer of a firm, because they don't need the product, or they're not in the region where you can buy that product, or because they just don't have a need right now. Going off that, one of the things that we had to do for these models, which Laura can probably explain a little better, but... There are two regressions that go into calculating the revenue potential. One of them is advocacy. The other is a combination of retention and enrichment. And there are so many factors that might prevent a recommendation from generating revenue at a company. The revenue potential generated from advocacy is so much lower than that compared to retention and enrichment, which across most of the industries, it's only about 3% of the revenue potentials from advocacy, except for credit cards. So why do we have so many companies asking Net Promoter Score then? Because Net Promoter Score isn't just about recommendations. When you look at back at the work that Laura Brooks and Fred Reichel did on the Net Promoter, they talk about Net Promoter Score and they talk about quantifying it with many different things. Recommendation being one of them, lower acquisition costs, but also higher willingness to pay a price, bigger revenue. So there are lots of factors that tie into NPS, not only the recommendation. I wonder, this is maybe not a question that you answered in this report, but you're talking about all the barriers to advocacy turning into revenue. Is that something companies should focus on? Is, is you know, reducing some of those barriers to the extent that they can of saying, you know, let's make it as easy as possible for our super promoters, our advocates that are out there to influence people to come buy products from us? I mean, you know, whether it's, you know, working on the regulatory side of things, the business model side of things. I can talk about it from a customer feedback perspective. You definitely have a lot of companies who are looking to their feedback management solution to be able to push customer reviews from surveys onto social media because they know that it's so important to get the reach of customers who have given feedback. To add something, I'm a customer of Stitch Fix, and they're constantly saying... If you recommend us to somebody and they sign up, you get $25. So I think it's 
really important for companies that are focused on growth and signing up new people. And maybe they can focus on barriers to getting recommendations, but maybe for others that are not as dependent on growth, this speaks to the importance of really trying to improve the experience for your current customers and trying to market to them. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. That's the, li the life cycle. Where in the life cycle are you as a company? Yeah. I couldn't agree more, yeah. But I like that example. It's worth enough to them to convert your advocacy into new dollars that they're willing to give up some dollars by sharing them with you for that initial purchase by the new customer. Yeah, and I think that's pretty common business model. Yeah, because they save, they save a lot of acquisition costs. That's that's what's behind that, really. And then your customer, they can recommend as many times as they want as well. And that's why we see the incremental revenue from advocacy is exponential with every industry. We've been talking about the implications of this report, but I guess before we get there, let's back up. Um, what makes you so certain of the findings that are in the report that came out of your models? The methodology that we use to calculate the revenue for each customer is we use a combination of questions in our CX index survey together with some heavily researched industry-level numerical assumptions. So that means at the heart of these models, a big portion of it is actual responses from actual customers. And what is the sample size of the CX index? That's really high, right? We have 122,500 respondents over the whole survey. Once we find the revenue for each customer, we can connect that up to each customer's individual CX index score. And we test the models in a variety of different ways to make sure that we find the shape that best and most accurately describes the relationship between CX and revenue. So there's a lot of statistical testing and modeling that goes into all of this work. And you have a different model for each industry that's covered. Is that correct? That's correct. So for each industry, we test the model for the relationship between advocacy revenue and CX and between retention enrichment revenue and CX for each industry. Great. Yeah. And we're talking about everything from auto manufacturers and credit card providers and banks, like we've referenced, telecom, TV service, and, and a number of other industries. So we're talking about a lot of different industries here. Great. Well, thank you all for joining us. And listeners, we will point you in the show notes for this episode to their report called Drive Revenue with Great Customer Experience. 2017, where you can find this data, you can find, you can geek out on the methodology if you want in the notes, and all of that uh, good information will be there. Yeah, and I want to point out that the report also puts a dollar figure on the revenue potential on increasing your CX index score one point for each of the industries we covered. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Remember, your customer's perception is your customer experience reality.